Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Read from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. Thank you, Sister May, for that song. Thank you for the ministry and song. Praise God. I want to preach to you today God's influence. God's influence. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. When you get there, say amen. Nobody there? Am I on my own here, (laughs) standing by myself on this limb? That's okay. I've been here before. I can handle it. There you go. There's another one. Anybody else in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14? Okay. As we go into the Word, I'm glad to have all of our guests here with us today. Lord bless you in the house of the Lord. Continue to pray for those that are not able to hear, be here and those that are online with us here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And I'd like for you to look real close at verse 17 and 18. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith who? Saith the Lord. I know we put a lot of emphasis on what the Lord says. Well, the Lord's the author of this whole book. (laughs) But if you... um, put a lot of emphasis on what the Lord said which we do wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord that's what the Lord said and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and verse 18 and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord almighty amen God bless you you may be seated God's influence God's influence. I know that the heart thought of every individual in this building is that we would like to make it to a heavenly place in God when this life is all said and done. It's all said and done and everything is finished. I know that we would like to go to heaven because I know definitely we do not want to go to the 
to the opposite place of hell. And that's the biblical principle. If you don't believe the word of God, then this word is not going to help you. But if you believe the word of God and what it says, that there is a heaven and then there is a hell, uh, I want to say that this word will help you if you obey it. Now, I know that the word is true. I know God is real. I know there's an emphasis in our world to discredit God, discredit the word, discredit church, discredit the people of God. And in this present climate in our world, this um, time of troubling, uh, this is nothing compared to what the Bible talks about as far as the great tribulation. We think we got it bad right now, but when the church is taken away, and the salt of the earth is taken away, then this world, that you, you don't want to be in this world during the great tribulation time. It is troubling to me to hear at times of those that once knew God but now claim they don't believe in God. That is a very troubling thing to me. To have been in the presence of the Lord and have been able to feel the presence of God and touch the throne of the Lord, touch the hem of his garment, feel his presence, his love, his grace and mercy, and for them to say possibly today that they don't believe that there is a God, or they're confused that there is, is there even a God, or even claim to be uh, atheistic to where that they proclaim there is no God. But I know where that comes from, and it's very troubling to me that if you've ever been in the presence of God, experienced the presence of God, and then be able to say that there is no God, that is terribly troubling. And I know where it comes from. It comes from the influence of worldliness. It comes from that influence and that connection and allowing to let things down to the point where the worldliness and the ways of the world and, and um, the way of the world of, of not believing in a God creeps into a heart and soul and brings someone to a point of influence and then not believing that there is a God. One thing I could say is that uh, if this is all said and done, which I know God is real, but if it's all said and done, this life is past, and we have lived for God, and if for some reason that there wouldn't be a God, I've still gained everything. But if there is a God and you say that you don't believe that there is a God, then you've lost everything. But I've still gained everything. You know, we could come to a point where in life that the world wants to present an influence, an environment that there is no God. But in this present world climate, I know that it has troubled me the thoughts of people that would proclaim that there is no God. In some of the scriptures of the word, believers are exhorted to be in the world but not of the world to not allow the influences of the world to lead you away from the Lord. But the first New Testament word translated world 
is cosmos. And it is used at least three in three different ways in a number of passages. It means the round planet Earth on which man has e existence. First of all, that's the first uh, view of this and the use of it. It is this world, this globe, this planet that we live on. And um, when John wrote of Jesus that he was in the world in John 1 and 10, he was referring to the planet Earth. Jesus. It says that he was in the world. He was upon this planet. God in flesh. It is this world, the Earth, which is the scene of prophesied demonic activity. Some might not believe that, but there are a lot of things that people are fighting. It's demonic activities, spirits. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting spirits. But that's the first usage of this word world or cosmos in the Bible. And in the second usage of the word cosmos refers to the inhabitants of the world or the earth. And both of these first two usages appear together in one verse. He was in the world, or the earth, and the world, the earth, was made by him, and the world, or the inhabitants of the earth, knew him not. We are in this world. We are a part of this world. We are the inhabitants of this world. But they knew him not. And the world, of course, when we talk about the world, the world of mankind is the world, really, that the Bible says that God loves. It is the world of the inhabitants of the people of, of, of his creation that he loves dearly. Jesus said for God in John 3.16, which many of you could probably quote this scripture, for God so loved the world. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about the inhabitants of the world. He was talking about the creation, his people, the living, breathing, heart-beating people of this world that have a soul, have a mind, have a, a life that is breathing today, blood flowing through our veins. That is who he loves when he says, for God so loved the world. He loves the inhabitants of this world. He loves his creation. However, there is a segment of the world of mankind that is alienated from God. We find this in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 4. It's hostile to the Lord, hostile to Christ and his followers. Our Lord said, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you in John 15 and 18. If the world and the ways of the world hates you, they hated God. Jesus before they ever hated us. There is a push and a climate in our world of ungodliness and trying to pull people away from belief and trust in God. And in this time of events of, of struggle and turmoil that is in our world, it has not changed to the people of God that believe in the word of God, believe in the power of God, believe in the existence of God. It has not changed our faith and trust in the Lord. It has not. It will not. 
because we have experienced God. People could say all they want to that there is no God, but nobody can take away my testimony of my experiences in an almighty God. Sister Burke had people raise their hands a while ago that who has been healed? Yes, I have been healed. It was not a doctor that healed me. It was a need in my life. There was an ongoing occurrence every year that I needed God to heal me when I was about 14 years old and my pastor laid hands upon my head and began to pray for me and I felt the glory of God flow over me. I felt like someone had poured warm water over my head and nobody had done that physically but God God's energy began to move through my body and went all the way down to my feet and I knew that was the power of God and within seconds, uh, within minutes, God had completely healed my body and I didn't have that problem ever again to this day. God has healed me. Nobody can take away my testimony. Nobody can take away my experience in the Lord that I know that there is a God. I can feel him when I worship him. I can touch his, his presence when I pray, when I call upon him. I've had him speak a word to me at times that helped me through my struggles or my turmoil or times of difficulty in life. I know that there is a God. When I received the power of the Holy Ghost, I felt the power of his spirit move through my life. When I repented, when I was baptized in the name of Jesus, there was a powerful supernatural experience in him that changed me. Weights were lifted. My heart was changed by the power of an almighty existent God that is alive here today. And even if that doesn't uh, say anything to you of my testimony, let me put it this way. If you cannot believe that there is a creator when you consider that this body is functioning like, like it does, uh, that there is a heart beating blood through the, the, the tissues and muscles of this body and in your body, and, and there's a blood flow and there are cells and red blood cells and white blood cells and, and all of these unique things. Our lungs are pulling in oxygen and feeding this bloodstream and feeding the, the extremities of our body and how that when we are pricked or we are some type of disease tries to come in uh, that the uh, bloodstream goes to that point and fights against infection and how amazing and how wonderfully and powerful the things that God has created within us. And when you consider the earth and the summer and the winter and the fall and the spring and the balance of everything in life and when you consider that this earth is tipped on a, a, a little bit sideways and it's spinning and it's orbiting around the moon or I'm excuse me around the sun and how all of these planets are not colliding with each other and how that everything works perfectly you've got to believe in a, a creator this body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body is fearfully and wonderfully made. It amazes doctors every time they work upon a person's body and in surgery or in uh, trying to help them to get over certain things of life. But the body is made to function and fight off the infirmities of our life. But it's amazing how God has created us. That brings forth a belief in God that should bring forth a belief in God, I should say. 
So Jesus said, in the sense that he loved the world, for God so loved the world, he loved the inhabitants of the world, us. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So then it is this unregenerated world of mankind through whom demons will accomplish their wicked deeds for people that choose not to follow the Lord. That's the world. But he loves the inhabitants of this world. And then the third use of the word cosmos in scripture refers to the combined activities, affairs, advantages, and accumulated assets of the worldly men on the earth. The Bible calls all of this, all of these, the things that are in the world. That's what trips people up. That's what messes people up, is the worldliness of the things that are in this world, this world's goods in 1 John 3.17. The usage of this cosmos, this word world, is not limited to the material things, but it includes abstract things which have spiritual and moral or immoral values. Paul warns the believer of, to beware of the wisdom of the world, the spirit of the world, the fashion of the world. Peter wrote of the corruption that is in this world, Second Peter 1 and 4. The pollutions of the world, chapter 2, verse 20. Dr. Merrill Unger made note of the fact that in more than 30 important passages of the Greek word cosmos is employed in the New Testament to portray the world mass of unregenerated men alienated from God, hostile to Christ, and organized governmentally as a system or federation under Satan. It is that third portion of the world that messes everybody up. It's the ways of the world. It's the philosophy of the world. It's the thinking of the world. It's the values of the world, the designs of the world that leads people away from God is what is going to hinder and destroy people's souls. The world system is committed to at least four major objectives. Charles Swindoll wrote this in Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. He said this, the world system is committed to at least four major objectives, which I can summarize in four words. And this is the third portion of the, what the Bible's talking about as far as the world. First and foremost is fortune, money. The world system is driven by money. It feeds on materialism. Second, the world's uh, 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 summarizing of this word cosmos is fame. That is another word for popularity. Fame is the longing to be known, to be somebody in someone else's eyes. Third is the power. Some people are power hungry. This is having influence, maintaining control over other individuals or groups or companies or whatever. It is the desire to manipulate and maneuver others to do something for, for one's own benefit. And then the fourth thing about, uh, about the world system is pleasure. At its basic level, pleasures has to do with fulfilling one's sensual desires. It's the same mindset that's behind the slogan, if it feels good, do it. I'm talking about the worldliness. 
I'm talking about the world system, the ways of the world. There is such influence in our world to try to drag people away further and further and further away from a knowledge of God, trying to bring people further away from a desire for God, for a longing for God, for a relationship with God. Hollywood in itself, it's very confusing, but it's not confusing in so many ways, but Hollywood is very opinionated on how we must live and how we must think, and they're constantly trying to infiltrate this into our lives. This is much of the this this is much of the source of worldliness system and worldliness thinking of how we need to think and how we need to live. But it's so confusing in the sense that their example in movies is that they constantly well their example is they tell us to not hurt other people, not rape people, not kill. They tell us to not offend other people. They tell us you need to give in your in your guns. You need to give this away, that away. You need to think this way. You need to live this way. But in movies, they are not willing to remove any of these things that they preach to us about. They are not willing. They want you to give up this, give up that, but they're not willing to give it up themselves because it makes their, their movie, what we would say, attracting to many people. But it's putting a worldview in people's hearts and people's lives. Amen. But the, the failed worldview is this, written by Dr. James Engel. James Engel summarized the belief system and the presuppositions that commonly prevail among what he calls modern man. This is what he said. He said, God, if he exists at all, is just an impersonal moral force. Now, this is not his thinking. This is what he's saying that the worldview is of, of if God exists at all, the worldview says that, that he is impersonal moral force. Man basically has the capacity within himself to improve morally and make the right choices. Can, do, are we able to do that? We need God in that. Now, am I out on the limb by myself? I need God to be able to overcome things in life. I cannot be morally uh, right without the help of the power of God's word and his spirit to, to help me to make the right choices. Uh, happiness consists of unlimited material acquisitions. Uh, there really is no objective basis for right and wrong. This is worldviews. The supernatural is just a figment of someone's imagination. That's the worldview. I know better than that. I've experienced the supernatural. I've got a testimony of God's power in my life. If a person, this is the worldview, if a person lives a good life, the eternal destiny is assured. The Bible is nothing other than a book written by man. That's the worldview. But when I talk about the word, and I speak the word, and I read the word, and I pray to God, and I experience God, I know that those things are not true, that, the, that the, this thing called God, and this thing called the word, and this thing called supernatural and this thing called the moving of the Spirit of God and, and, and this thing called the power of God's Word. I know that it is not just a figment of my imagination. I know that it is the power of God within me that is moving and helping me make the decisions of right and wrong and live for Him. Amen. 
But here's the thing. If we allow the world's viewpoints and systems begin to flow into our lives and corrupt our thinking and tell us how to live and tell us how to walk and how to think and how to talk and how to look, they're going to, they're going to get us to a point where that influence of the world system is going to begin to corrupt your walk with God. Amen. When people take on the atheistic philosophy, they're going beyond even what the devils believe because the Bible says in the book of James chapter 2, verse 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. You see, those that go and say that God is not real, the thing about it is even the devils believe and they know the power of God and they tremble at the fact that God is real. You see, the world's view is that believing in God, in eternal life, in the Bible, in the teaching, is they believe that it's all fake, that we're foolish to come to the house of God, that we're foolish to believe in the power of his spirit. But I know one thing that they don't know. I've had an experience in God. I've got a testimony of God. And you have a testimony of the power of God's spirit. Amen. You can't take away my experience and you can't take away my testimony. I've been there. I've done it. Whether you were there or not, I know what God did for me. And you've got a testimony. You know what God has done. Hallelujah. There is a God. There is a God that wants to touch your life in such a way because he loves you. He cares about you. In this present climate of our world, the reason governments through history uh, fight against believers in God is because they can't have full control over your life because people that are committed to the power of the cross and people that are committed to the power of the word of the Lord and the, committed to a, a, a relationship with God you can't get that out of them you can't remove that from them they have a testimony you can, they've tried to, to martyr people on, on sticks burning at a, at a uh, sticks of fire. They've tried to feed them the lions in history of the past. You can't take their experience away. You can't take their testimony away. Why would they stay there And when they give them an opportunity to denounce the Lord? And they, they said, if you don't denounce the Lord, then we're going to feed you to the lions. And they say, thank God for this opportunity to be able to give my life for Christ and take a stand for the Lord. Why is that? Why would people do that? Because they have a relationship with God. They pushed out the worldview. They pushed out the ways of the world and the ungodliness of the world and sin out of their lives. And they've totally surrendered it all to God. That's the reason why they're able to say what they could say. God, I thank you for giving me that privilege of being able to give my life for you. Oh, when it comes down to relationship with God, there is nothing like it. And you can't, experience, you can't understand it until you experience it for yourself. For yourself. This is what God wants for you. We find in the scripture text, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. This is what God wants for you. Wherefore, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will receive you. That's what God wants for our lives. 
Amen. He was saying in the scripture that I read here, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Paul is speaking to the overly broad affections of the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians. They they allowed the world view to creep into the Corinthian church. Yes, they lived for God, but they allowed that world view to begin to corrupt a little at a time, begin to corrupt their, their relationship with God. This affected everything about their relationship. It affected the, eventually affected their love for God. It affected their, their walk with God. It affected their desire for God. The idea of do not be equally yoked together, many times we base it on Deuteronomy 22 and 9, which prohibited yoking two animals together in the Old Testament. It also comes down to where people uh, marrying people of, of um, unbelief, and it's a difficult thing for you to live right for God if you're unequally yoked. It doesn't mean that God is saying we should never be around people that don't believe. No, but it's what God is saying to us. Come out from among them and be ye separate. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. It really applies to any environment where we let the world influence our thinking. Come out from among that place of worldly influence and connect yourself with God. Amen. Any situation or environment that draws our love away from God is a place that we've got to separate ourselves from. In the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 36 to 37, it says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. If we've got the world's corrupting thinking in our heart and mind, it's difficult to get our heart connected with God. If we've got the world's thinking and our love is leaning toward the world's ways, then all of our soul is going to be split between God and the world. And guess who will win out? Eventually, it will be the ways of the world. Guess what happens when our mind is constantly on the things of this world? Our mind's not going to be on God. We're going to try to split time with God and with the world, but guess who wins out in the end? It is always the ways of the world and sin and the flesh. Amen. But the Bible says in Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But when we are being conformed by the world and are not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we join together with unbelievers and the ungodly ways of the world. We corrupt ourselves with these things. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else by any means. It doesn't mean that we're greater than anybody else by any means. It just means that we are forgiven. It means that we've obeyed the word of God. It means that we've, we've said to the world, I'm leaving this way of the world because I couldn't make it living that way. I knew that there were times that there had to be more to life than this than the ways of the world when I found God I found everything I needed when I found his presence when I repented of my sins in an altar I literally felt those weights of sin lifted off of me I laid them down at an altar I literally felt the burdens lifted up off of my soul 
when I washed them away in a watery grave of baptism, I literally felt those washed away. I buried that old person. And when I received the power of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, as the book of Acts chapter 2 says, I felt something so powerful move into my life. It changed me. It gave me a strength that I could never, ever find anywhere else. And talking about the walk with God, it's been a blessing in my relationship with God, my walk with God since 1977. You can do the math. You're a whole lot quicker than I am. But when it comes down to it, it has been the exact thing that I needed in my life. Not the ways of the world, not the ways of the flesh, not the ways of sin, but the power of God in my life. We might say we're strong and we won't be influenced by the end result of this world, but if we don't keep ourselves connected with God and push out the world view, we're going to find ourselves being influenced by the world, leading us down the pathway where we're not fully connected in relationship with God. But the world wins out. But God is calling us, come out from among them and be ye separate. He's saying, come out from among that worldly influence and be ye separate, saith the Lord. This speaks especially to the issue of influence. Paul is not suggesting that Christians never associate with unbelievers. Unbelievers is what God loves. That's the world part that God loves. He died for them. Guess what? We were there. God died for us while we were yet sinners. We're just forgiven. Amen. But we are in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. It's like a ship should be in the water, but water shouldn't be in the ship. It's like a scuba diver lives in the water, but he breathes the air, and he takes his environment with him. And what I'm saying to a Christian, we're in the world, but not of it. But we take our environment of living for God with us. I take it with me to the job. I take it with me to the, to the, the, the supermarket. I take it with me to, to driving down the road. I take it with me to the hardware store. I take it with me wherever I go to that vegetable stand where I get those nice Arkansas tomatoes. I've been eating Arkansas tomatoes, by the way. Made from Arkansas. They're good. Hmm. I take that environment of God with me wherever I go. Because I don't want to be influenced by the ways of the world. It's so easy to be led back into that place of sin. And if the world is influencing us, it is clear we are unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this unequal yoke or ungodly influence may come through many different avenues, but many times it's a subtle deception. It's just a subtle deception. Just a subtle deception. Colossians 2 and 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ vain deceit means empty lacking truth when I go back to the original the original Greek on this it's, it's empty it's lacking truth the tradition of men is the act of giving up to the ordinances of man and not the commandments of God it could even be giving up to the ordinances of my own ways and not the ways of God and then the rudiments of the world going to the original Greek means principles of the world's pleasures and desires let me reread that verse again beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit empty lacking truth after the tradition of men or the act of giving up the ordinances of giving in to the ordinances of man and not the commandments of God and also after the rudiments of the world principles of the world's pleasures and desires and not after Christ what am I talking about here today I'm talking about there are influences in this world that is trying to destroy you and keep you away from God. Are you going to let those things keep you back from God? Because I'm here to tell you today that if you find God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, you're going to find something that is going to bless your life like you never thought you could ever be blessed. I've never felt peace like this before. I've never felt happiness like this before. I've never felt so much glory like this before. I've never felt that power, supernatural power, healing touch of God. I never felt the peace, the peace like I feel in God. We all like to believe that we can be around ungodly things as much as we want and still be around God and that we are strong enough to ward off the influence but we must seriously think about the words of the scripture do not be deceived and also think that evil company corrupts good habits it needs to come back to the simple question from the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 2 are we being conformed to this world or are we being transformed by the renewing of your mind? In God, you can overcome this power of the world that is trying to tell us how to think and how to live and how to walk and how to live our lives. It's all about pulling you away from God. But when you go back to the Word of God, the Word of God always points you to a closer relationship with God. The Word of God always points you back into His presence. The Word of God, and oh, let me put it this way, the obedience of the Word of God always leads us back to a relationship with God. Leads us back to a place where we can look Him in the spiritual eyes and say, Lord, I believe in 
in you. I trust in you. In, in the times when the storm is the hardest and the struggle is the worst time of your life, you could look into the word of God and you could look to the Lord in prayer and you could realize that he is there with you. But the world's influence and teaching us how to walk away from God is not going to help you in those times of need. It's not going to help you in those times of struggle. It's not going to help you when your back is against the wall and you can't fix it yourself. It's not going to help you, but God can and God will. We have a hope beyond this life. Amen. We have a hope beyond this life. The Corinthian Christians thought like worldly people, not like godly people. They gained this way of looking at life, or at least they stayed in it because of their ungodly associations. Paul tells them to break those yokes of fellowship with the ungodly things, with the ways of the world. What fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? What, 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 what does a darkness have to do? How does it have a relationship with light? And how does uh, Belial or Satan uh, have anything to do with Christ? What, what kind of connection or fellowship do they have together? Belial is a word borrowed from Hebrew meaning worthlessness or wickedness, where it is used as another word for Satan. What communion has light with darkness? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of God. Ye are the temple of God. What fellowship do you have as a child of God with the ways of the world? How does that mix? It doesn't mix. It always leads you back into sin. I've seen the examples of it. I can only learn from examples, but I always see it lead back to sin. But what God is calling us to do, come out from among them. Come out from among the world's ungodly views leading us away from God and be ye separate saith the Lord and then it says do not touch the unclean thing it's a choice the promise and I will receive you after that reminds us that this is not only a separation from evil but also a separation unto God Separation from evil so I can get to God. Cutting those things off of things that are trying to destroy our thinking, our heart, feelings, our emotions, our relationship with God. It's not just talking about separating yourself from evil. It's, it's talking about separating yourself from evil so you can find God. It's not a question simply of trying to empty your heart and life of every worldly desire. It's not just that, but it's about finding God in this process. It's about opening your heart wide open to all the love that the Lord could give us and letting that love just sweep through us. 
But here's, here's the thing. A lot of times people have a stumbling block here in this thought. If I give everything to God, how can I do this? How can I make it? How can I live for God the way I need to live? Well, it comes down to the very last verse. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. God is a father, and us as his children, he will take care of our needs. How do we do it? We can't do it on our own. We can't do it all on our own. We can make the steps that we need to make to find God, but then it comes down to that God is the one that comes into our lives and helps us through repentance, through baptism, through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He helps us find strength to overcome sin. Does it mean we're perfect? No, absolutely not. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. When we fall flat on our face, we learn how to get up and ask for forgiveness again. And the Father, a good Father, is going to be there to help pick them back up when they fall, when they hurt themselves. A good Father is going to be there to lend a hand to the son or the daughter. He knows exactly where you're at at all times. I used to think that my mom and dad didn't know where I was at half the time. That was wrong. They knew exactly where I was at at the exact time. They could come to wherever I was at, wherever I was at. They knew. And they had the system down. Some of you know about it. They had a 1966 Chevrolet Impala Super Sport white, blue interior and it had a very unique horn when they honked the horn twice that meant son you better lay down everything you're doing and come running supper's ready you might be three blocks away you might be five blocks away but I knew without a doubt and it was, they were very consistent my parents were that if they had to honk the horn two times again I knew that when I got home, before I ate supper, I got a belt. We had a lot of belts flying around our house. But they knew exactly where I was at. The Lord knows exactly where you're at. How do I do this? How do I surrender to God and live for Him? You don't have to worry about that. You do your part and God will be there every step of the way. Every step of the way. He will lead you. He will guide you. But what he's saying to us here today is come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not that unclean thing. And then the last portion of that verse says, says the Lord Almighty. You know what the word Almighty is? We stand here. I want to I want to tell you what that means. The Lord Almighty. The title Almighty uses the ancient Greek word which means the one who has his hand on everything. 
Does that sound like God? The one who has his hand on everything. If he's got his hand on everything, he knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're faced with. But what he's calling us to do is surrender it all to him. Put the worldview aside. Take on my view. Walk toward me and I will deliver you. I will set you free. I will bless you. I will keep you. I'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. I will give you a touch in your life that you have never experienced before. But I'm talking about a God that is our Heavenly Father and He is the Almighty and He has His hand on everything. And today what God is calling us to do here in this house is for us uh, to make a commitment to the Lord, to come to this altar and make a commitment to the Lord that I'm going to lay aside all of the world system, the world view, the world things that, that are trying to keep me away from God. I'm going to lay those things aside, the influences, the environment of the things of the world. No, we're in the world, but not of it. But it doesn't have to destroy you until the coming of the Lord or the Lord chooses to take you from this earth. His hand is upon your life. Amen. He is with us. The Bible even says in the book of John chapter 16 verse 33 these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world God's overcome the world for you and the Lord is here today if you just come to this altar and surrender to the Lord everything and he will bless your life. Would you come today? Would you come and offer yourself before the Almighty, the one that has his hand upon everything? Would you come and kneel before the Heavenly Father? He has his, his personal interest in you and in your life. He wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you hope today in the name of Jesus. Oh God, I surrender.